Welcome back. Welcome back to another Welcome. edition of Torah Topics. This week's Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. This week we're studying Parshat Vayikra. It's that's the name of it, Vayikra, which is the Hebrew word otherwise known as Leviticus. Now, when I was, you know, before I was on this journey, I always looked at the book of Leviticus and I, in the back of my mind, thought it pertained only to the Levitical priesthood, like laws pertaining only to them. That's like far from actual truth, right? Yes, that's far from truth. Well, it's partial truth because they are prominently like in here and displayed or whatever like the kuhuna the priesthood is it's it's an integral part of it but it's by no means like exclusive it's not the other the part that makes this hard is that nobody does this right now because the temple <laughs> the beta mikdash was destroyed by the romans it's the romans fault right <laughs> it is Around uh, hundred and no, around seventy. Year, right, right around year seventy, yes. Either uh, CE or AD, however you want to say it. So, yeah, this Roman uh, general—I'm trying to remember the name—was in charge of that operation. Hashem allowed it to be destroyed, and so it put a pause to the stuff that we're learning about. That's the bad news. The good news is that it will be restored. And that we have talked about the Para Al Duma and the Temple Mount and the Temple Institute. Mm-hmm. And did we talk about it on the program? We talked the, about the red heifers, and that led into a discussion on the uh, income, the approaching time when the temple would be rebuilt. Para Adumai means red heifer, correct? <laughs> yes. It's a Hebrew, Hebrew phrase for that red heifer. Can't have more than two non-red hairs on it. Never had a yoke on it. Yep. And we know about five cows that are currently, five heifers that are currently in there. It's Israel. And the plan is to restore, well, to restore temple service, but do you remember what the big obs- obstacle, the big obstacle was? So I feel like there's two. Uh, one is the age of the heifers, and the other is the dome of the rock. That's yes. Who could miss that obstacle? Yeah, that isn't the way I meant it. Yeah, right. I know. I don't know what the how how Shem is going to work that out, other than he will. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of like at the edge of my seat to uh, can't wait to find out. So right now the obstacle to restoring the temple, the Beit Hamikdash with these korban that are described in this parsha, the big obstacle is that the tame, the impurity that arises that that happens as a result of contact with the dead, with dead like at a cemetery or at a uh, funeral. Mm-hmm. Proximity to, and the only way to cleanse that or lichaper, which is like a tone for it, is the 
heifer, the ashes of the red heifer. And so they have to they have to commence everything with that. That's why the red heifers are in Israel today, is because it's the first step. So once the ashes are done, then the remedy for the tumah, for the impurity that's given in the book of Numbers, can be um, can be done, accomplished, done right. In order that the things that are described here in can be resumed. So that's why I said it was the obstacle. Yes, we do have the, there's some mosque. What is the name of that mosque? <clears throat> I have to learn, I have to know what the name of that thing is. I read it in an article one time, but it was some time ago. Yeah, it's a very forget, it's like a forgettable name. The al Aska, I think, yes. The Al-Aqsa, Al-Aqsa mosque is that it that doesn't it doesn't, sound, it doesn't look right okay. it says it's on the temple southern mount. end it says it's on the temple mount east jerusalem they're showing it right here in this picture that thing mm -hmm. <laughs> okay so tentatively it's the al-aqsa harabites in hebrew and that's different than the dome of the rock or the same thing same same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing, right? That's it's just a uh, Islamic so, name. It's the Islamic so, name for this the place. The rock is what we would call it. They would call it that name. It says it yeah. says third holiest site on the bottom of that one picture. So what are the two two sites more holy then? Oh, Mecca. Mecca is one, and I forget the other one. Medina. Any experts on Islam to answer that? Medina. That was the other one. Yes. Now, I, I saw um, an article that was claiming that prior to Israel being reinstated, this was just like, this was not a big deal in the Islamic world prior to Israel taking up residence and reestablishing the state. I have read the same thing. This was like a, a you know, a kind of a third way back, you know, like unimportant yeah so up until it was almost abandoned or something. up until the um whatever they are <laughs> sons of another of a different mother i guess you could say what's that well, my brother my... from another mother <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect. That's why I didn't say it that way. Oh, sorry. I mean, well, it's Hagar, right? These are the sons of Hagar. Way to offend hundreds of thousands of people, Carrie. Jeez. <laughs> <clears throat> it is true. It's a scientific, you know, historical fact that it's one father and a different mother. And that's kind of, you know, whatever you call that. Okay. Yeah. The Aravim. This thing doesn't spice removed. Kind of, yeah, right. So they they all of a sudden got interested in the site after their whatever <laughs> they are distant cousins began to you know move in. That's really what we're saying. Families. 
Right, families. That's family relations are always <laughs> difficult. Uh, I've been there, I'm standing there, like in this vicinity. Well, right here, I think, is the uh, Wailing Wall. No, no, that's not it. It's over on. It's on this side over here. It's this. Okay. Oh, that looks familiar. Actually, okay. So I watch a lot of um, different shows uh, in Hebrew, and one of them uh, was talking about how there were these two guys. It was on Netflix, actually. There were these two guys. They were like scumbags, and you know, living the dirty life with drug running and whatnot. And there was this mass explosion, and it opened the eyes of one of these two characters. And he's like, "We got to change our lives." And uh, so they went to this wailing wall, and there was like, you know, people write down their prayers and roll it up and stick it in the wall. And so one of them uh, took one of those prayers out, and the whole sh movie is based on this idea that. You know, they when they got out of the drug life, they had a bag full of money. It was supposed to go to the drug lord. And uh, so they're utilizing this money to answer those prayers. But I remember I was at, it was at a different angle. But I I recognize this scene from that movie That's in cool. this picture. Yeah. So I have actually we've been here. Yeah. And you can. The, it's five times a day that, that there's a tone that a sound that goes off. Yeah, it's a call to prayer for Islam. You can hear it from off in the distance, but it's quite audible in this vicinity right here. Mm -hmm. Anywhere around here. So. All right. Yeah. What an interesting, interesting memory that is. All right. So back to the Parsha. So it's uh, the Parsha Vayikra. Um, as you said, people it's like a conventional wisdom or something that people think, oh, those those are instructions for the priest, right? Well, did you know, little trivia, that a non-priest, just a regular average wait, Yosef... Wait, don't finish. Is it that they can slaughter the cow and it doesn't have to be the priest who do, does the slaughtering? Correct. They can do it. They can bring their own korban, yes. It just has to be where they're doing it. And that's what the Torah says. It's where you're doing it. And bringing the Kohen in for the certain parts of it and for the supporting the livelihood of the Kohen. Yeah. Yeah, right. So there's a little bit of like trivia that it's one of those um, erroneous uh, legends. <laughs> Oh, so like you're you, saying that the idea that it doesn't have to be a priest is erroneous? Yeah, no, what is erroneous is that this oh, okay. only applies and only, you know, pertains to the priesthood. That's I understand. That I idea itself is erroneous. The idea that an average person could bring a korban is definitely not erroneous. That's totally correct. Okay. Well, that's cool. All right, so when you go through here... Um, this word, Yikra, means called, summon, called. It says that Adonai called to Moshe, it says. And uh, Hashem says to him, from the tent of meeting, Yohel Moed, speak to the Bnei Israel and tell them, <coughs> any person um, that is... Is that, What's that? Is that first word, deber? Deber, yes, right. Deber. 
Daver. So it's that uh, that idea is like instruct them, tell them, you know, with instructive insight. Yeah. To the Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel, and basically announce to them or say to them, any person. And this word is an elevated. There are different words for person in Hebrew. Um, they have different connotations. Uh, let's, you know, <laughs> trying to think of all the ones that are used. You have Ish, you have uh, Adam, you have Enosh. This is the most spiritually lofty of the three. Because of Adam being the first man? That's right. That is correct. So this is Adam in its, like, highest sense. Yes. Okay. You can see it says Adam. I do. I see that. So you could translate this as, as instruct the Israelite people and, to, and say to them, when a spiritually minded person is wants to present an offering, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. spiritually minded person something that's walking after the original plan mm -hmm. gonna present a korban a korban is korban itself what's that a sacrifice yes yeah, well the karov karov is the uh, root of that word and that word means a near or a closeness so it's something that achieves closeness or proximity. So it <laughs> it is a sacrifice, but it's with also got another drawing uh, with the purpose of drawing close a sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, that's what it, that's what korban actually means. Okay. Because the word kofreshvet karav karov that word is saying close. It's it's proximate or close near okay that root does so this is a so it's in a noun form that's saying an act that draws near or an act that, uh, that be like, causes nearness right yeah go ahead it would be like coming home after work and you stopped and got flowers for your wife you're doing that to draw closer to your wife. Yeah, that's not a bad. That's not a bad analogy. Okay. Right, so that act, that act, um, could be a nearness inducing. So it in, it achieves a feeling of being closer rather than far, and so it's opposite. It's opposed to being far. Right. And the interesting thing. We know that sin agitates and brings like farness, you know, distance, distancing. Right. Far. So this this is working to the opposite direction, and it's in a noun form, so it's a thing which does that. To yod vave right? Mm -hmm. From from an uh, uh, behemoth, it's like a four-footed, uh, like a cow, cow, beat bull, mm -hmm. cattle. This is a cow or a zone is a um, sheep so like herd. a herded animal like a what animal a herded animal herded, herded animal like a goat or a, a sheep typically yes takriv so you have, you see the same root kofresh vet right here kofresh 
with a yod vet. This form means cause to become near. So draw closer. Can I ask you a one. question? Can I ask a question about the Hebrew structure? Yes. The um, I you know I, I'm about to get back into my Hebrew studies, but before I had put it on pause due to schooling, um, I did read a little bit on the root systems and uh Wesley you're gonna have to put on um the root system the root itself can be is sometimes divided up with an additional letter or I think sometimes maybe even a sequence of letters to me that just is like it throws me off well don't think of it that way think of it as the vast majority of Hebrew, Hebrew, the Shoresh, the actual root, and this is a good example, consists mm -hmm. of three letters, okay, in sequence. Kosh, Resh, Vet. Kof, Kof, Resh, Vet. Excuse me. Kof, Resh, Vet. Right. There are some words that have two-letter roots. Daber, that's a root right there. It has three letters. See that? Yeah. Dalet, Vet, Resh. That's another one. That's but, one. One. But like in the Kof Resh Bet or Vet, uh, and then in the other word that has the same, there's a yod between the Resh and the Vet. Yeah. And yeah, it is. That, right, that's this, added in. You have to think of that as added in because it's not really part of the root. But how do you recognize? I guess my thing is how do I recognize when it what is versus it's not the root? Yeah, well, that's part of the. <laughs> it's really part of the art of Hebrew, actually. I think um, that's a burden for each individual word, or is that more of a like there's a system where you it's, can identify? It's really both. It's some of it does pertain to the words because the letter yud is part of some root, some roots, but it's also part of the system that you said of the, it's a grammar right here because that yod is added. To express to um, express causality. This is a cause. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so technically, this is cause to be near, right? Causing to be near. <laughs> the unit itself expresses that. Yes. Cause, in this form. Causing. This, yes, wow. it does. Okay. okay. All right. It, it, so that's don't all be I careful. Had. Yeah, I mean, don't you don't have to like be apprehensive about it because it'll make sense once you see it all working together. I mean, yeah. occasionally, occasionally there are certain roots, certain words that it's hard to say which root is that because of the dropped yodes and stuff. <laughs> but those yeah. are the exception, you know. And every language has exceptions anyway, so it's not right. really a showstopper, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to find a two-letter root while we're here. Well, I'll encounter ones, but most of them are three letters. There are, mm -hmm. it's like a very small contingent of four-letter roots. They're kind of rare, really, and don't appear much in biblical Hebrew, so I wouldn't, you know, don't have to be concerned about that. But... In Hebrew, verbs have um, different, there are different conjugations for the verb that just don't exist in Western language. 
they don't exist in Indo-European languages. They, they're more of a Semitic idea. Yeah. So that's where this causative act thing is coming from. This thing we talk about. With the U, yeah. So you have the root, then you can intensify it, or you can have causality, or you can have reflexive action back on the person. <laughs> that's it, it's on a single insert of an integral right. letter. It'll make that's, more sense. That's yeah, very I mean, yeah, the Takri, well, it, it can happen even by the voweling because if this were a Hiric right here, it would be yeah. even more intense than what this is. Sometimes it has a dot vowel instead of the uh, Patak there. So yeah. if it said Diber, that's something noticeably different from Daber. <laughs> that's a different conjugation. So it'd be like speak versus like yell or speak sternly, I guess. Yeah, it could be sternly or it could be it's it's like an elevated intensity on that form. So that would be like speak with intensity. So it would be specify. So it would be specify or make specific to the B'nai Israel instead of just like remember I used the word instruct. I think right. I did. That's because Daber is a little stronger than Amar. <laughs> Both of these translated speak. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, cool. But Daber is definitely more guided, methodical, directed talk than Amar. This this could be like <laughs> you know, con conversing rather than instructing. You know. It's almost reversed in the English the way it's translated. When you when you speak to the Israel people and then say to them, it's it's almost like speak is more of a generalized, and then say is something specific. Right. Whereas in well, the Hebrew, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Well, there's something we should do, and I really hope that this will. And I think you know, big Baruch Hashem, that you're getting back to the Hebrew study because. Um, it's worth it. You gotta do it. Well, I've got a couple of weeks left of school, but then it's uh, right, right back on it. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I'm gonna go ahead and take a detour off of this because I want to show you something like it's super important, really. Sure. Okay, so the, the, in verse 16 of chapter 2 of Genesis, mm -hmm. um, it says Yotevavhe, which is the subject of the sentence, and then it has Vayitzav, right? So <laughs> that's another, that's not part of the root. Um, that's a two letter root, by the way. Tzav, right? This particular verb, and it means this word is way stronger than Daber or Amar. This word is. <laughs> Command. Yeah. Okay. Command. It's far different. In the the verb form it's in does add the yod, but that has nothing to do with uh, cause causality. And this one, it well, just means that it's it's a it's a way to express. Um, this is a this is a Hebrew way to express command dead, right? Past tense, innocence. Well, that's in a sense caused, 
right? So, like, a, a cause of something that happens after whatever caused it. Yeah. Well, it'll become clear when you see it in the... It'll become clearer. But the, what I was trying to point out, what I want to point out is that this word is not Amar. This word is not Davar, right? So Adonai Elohim commanded the Adam. <laughs> there he is right there, right? Then it is, right, saying, right, meaning thusly uh, with these words, of all the eds of the, all the tree of the gun of the garden, you go ahead and eat, you know, all you want, basically. And of the tree of the knowledge of bad and good, or good and bad, right? Do not mm -hmm. eat from it. So that's the command. Well, so hold that thought. We're going to put a bookmark in. We're going to fast forward down to... Chapter 3, verse 1, right? Right. I want you to see this really important. Vehanachash, the nachash, snake, <laughs> right? Right. Was a room, and this means clever, from more than all the animals of the field that Hashem had made. Okay, so then it says that the Nachash, I don't know how this worked exactly, but it says that he did it. Yomar, Yomer, excuse me. So that's just say, just, it's not a command. It's not a uh, instruct, it's very, Colloquial, right? That's what this word is. And he he just chats with the lady, right? Saying, "Oh, really? Has you see this word right here? What does that say? Aleph Memresh, right? So the snake, Amar, is saying Amar to the lady. He's just chit chatting with the lady. Oh, has Elohim said?" <laughs> mm -hmm. That you shall not eat of every tree of uh, every tree of the garden. Has Elohim said that? Really? <laughs> Watch this. So she says during the chit chat, the lady says right here to the snake right here from the fruit of from the tree from the fruit of the tree of the gun of the garden we will eat. And of the free of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the gone. See this right here? She testifies to the Nachash that Elohim said. Amar. Right. See that? Yes. <laughs> you cannot unsee this once you get it. So hold that place. That's verse three. Let's go back up here. This word is not Amar. It's really important. More of a command. It, it is very much a command. So she turned it into just like casual speech, right? Is it Vatsav? What's that? that word, the Vatsav? Yeah, the Yitzav. Yitzav is, uh, that word is Tzave. That's a two-letter root that means command, order. It's... I see. So she, God's like, 
don't you do this? And he said sternly. And she's like, yeah, he commented basically not to eat it. That's where I'm going, right? That's where I'm going, right? So that in verse 3 of chapter 3, she testifies to the snake that uh, that Elohim Amar, he, he, well, you know, he casually told us. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a bit of color to the story isn't it <laughs> it's right there in the text okay it really is right there he casually told us that we shouldn't be eating from it and and even don't even touch it otherwise we'll die <laughs> now the midrash says that at that point the snake somehow pushed her into the tree trunk and and said, look, you know, you just hit the tree and it didn't, you didn't die. I actually believe that, Midrash. I think I've heard that, actually, at Midrash. I don't know if you told it to us or yeah. if I heard it on, like, the Rashi podcast or wherever. Maybe I read it in the Midrash myself, but I've, I've heard that before. So between this verse and this verse, so... She testifies when well, he casually told us, well, you know, we shouldn't be eating from that tree. He then pushes her into the tree and then says these words. You're, uh, see, you didn't die. You're not going to die. Look, you just hit it. Yeah. Interesting. See, there's no mention of casual speech or even the word davar, which is a stronger word than Omar, up here in wherever this was, itself. This, this is authoritative. Yeah. You can't have itself without some kind of like authority backing it up. Itself. Itself is like, it's where the word mitzvah comes from. Mitzvah, a commandment. So this root is in the word mitz, mitzvot or mitzvah? Yes, it is. Huh. Mitzvah. Mitzvah. Yes. So it's not even like the roots are at the beginning all the time. No, they're not always. <laughs> that one has pre, uh prefix of a mem. Mitzvah. Mitzvah, right? Huh. So tzav is embedded in it. But it is this root. And so what happened is somehow the doubt was already working enough and the or the rebellion was already working enough to lower this down to just talk by the time you get to verse three. That's what I wanted to point out in this passage. Do you think because, they had been there for some period of time and so it, it kind of like, you know, fabulizes in their mind a little bit due to... You know, it, it's almost like in today's society, you know, yeah, we can print off all kinds of money. What do you mean hyperinflation is going to happen? That's crazy, <laughs> even though we've all seen it in our, the history of the world over and over and over. Um, over and over, correct. Do, do you feel like maybe they had been in the garden for an undisclosed period of time to where what the words that God said when he commanded with force and authority do not do this it kind of like fabulizes in the back of their mind and like oh yeah i get you know he 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 mentioned that i guess yes that's um, a good that's a fine approach because you have to think about what's going on motivationally 
Because for her to say Amar is is terrible. I mean, it's not really truth. Because if she had been speaking the truth, assuming that she wanted to talk to the snake, that's a whole other, you know, day-long discussion right there. (laughs) But assuming that she was, you know, doing right and doing well to talk to to the snake, this should say that Elohim Tziva Lanu. He commanded us. It's interesting. It, I've been trying to think of this in terms of like, you know, the, the system that Eskimos use for the words for snow. They got like 50 words for snow. Yeah, got right. like eight, two or three. And uh, it's more than that because it's not that just that they got different words describing the same thing, each with their own angle. It's that each word can be modified based on not only inserted letters, but also the vowel system itself, the way in which the word is said. That's that's phenomenal. It has to do with the belief, right? So your emuna, your your belief and your trust in Elohim, it was definitely dropping for her to ever say that, Amar. Yeah. Because because Siva doesn't if if she had used the right term, there wouldn't have been it would not have been anything this the snake, the serpent could have um told her. It doesn't matter. Right. But as soon as you switch it to this Yeah, he mentioned it. Uh, yeah, you know, he did casually tell us that, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And that's basically what she's doing here. Well, the word say is not the correct like just one more time through this for anyone listening to see the difference. In verse 16 of chapter 2, in English, we don't read it this way. And, and God said to Adam, <laughs> you know, of every tree of the garden you're free to eat, but do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It does not use the word say here. Saying is how the command is conveyed, but this is something more than saying. It's totally different. It's a totally different root. Uh-huh. And it is the root of commandment, which is mitzvah. So that's how this works. Some kind of doubt, or what do you call it? Casuality or something? I forget how you said it. Um, I'm not sure what was the context I was speaking in when I said well, that. Well, the difference, if you say that, if you, if we talk about the difference between Tzav, which is I, command. I, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I was saying um, a command with force and authority behind it versus just casually mentioning something. You know, Pretty the sure Nachash, the Nachash starts to attack the reason why Elohim gave that command. See, that's what he's attacking. He only told you this because he knows, right, that right here, God knows that as soon as you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like divine beings. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so that's enough time on this. This, this detour, it was a really good study about the importance of word choice in the Torah. It means a lot. <laughs> the difficulty okay. in translating. 
Yeah, right. That's why it's vitally important for the Am Israel, for the people of the tribes of Israel to learn as much Hebrew vocabulary and grammar and much of the Torah as you can. Okay. All right. So back to the Sefer Vayikra. Um, we were talking about bringing an offering. This is talking about cattle. You shall choose your offering from the herd or from the flock. We already talked about that. Mm -hmm. Then it goes on to talk about like, so this word is an ola, right? This im ola korbano. We talked about korban too. That's like a drawing near entity. Somehow it causes one to draw near, right? And we talked about that too. Right. And again, we have the karav and the yakrivenu uh, word uh, representation here. So if the um, this this is one of the types of a korban is an ola, ola, that's the burn offering. There are a lot of different types of offerings. Right, and that is so fundamental to trying. Yes. All if there's anything, long, yeah, go ahead. All week long, Carrie and I, when we are discussing this Torah portion, my big thing is I got to talk to David about the different types of the sacrifices and what their purposes are and why there are so many different types. Because right. it's, it's just... There's a lot, and it's overwhelming. It is so a little overwhelming. Right, and one of the things, we mentioned this earlier, because we're talking about the Al-Aqsa Mosque or whatever, right, is that the place, the Holy Temple, right, the Beit HaMikdash, is, you know, the there's not any awareness in the world of this. It's not like somebody could say, well, I was there and this is what they did <laughs> and tell us about it, right? I mean, it's just shut down because of the Romans. Right. As we said earlier. Okay. Um, somebody disprove if, if you didn't, you know, like disprove what I said. Was it not the Romans who destroyed the temple? <laughs> okay. I've I've known some uh, rabbis that I've listened to that would uh, say it was God who actually destroyed it by His allowance of the destruction well, of the temple. I will, that is the one answer I will go with. Yes, that the baseless <laughs> hatred and the other sins of of uh, Israel at that time gave rise to that Hashem sent, sent the Romans to go do the destruction. Yes, I will 100% I'm on board with that. If yeah. you want to understand it that way, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, I mean, so... You asked for someone to disprove it. There you that's go. That's right, I agree. Well, so, you know, it's still... The, then the, then the, you know, the legal question is, in the big grand scheme of things... Do the Romans still not have some of the, you know, culpability there? <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I, I brought this up before, All but right. I, you know, it's still worth mentioning again that you know there's this idea that if, if uh, someone's on your roof and they fall, there's a good chance that there was divine judgment that was given onto them. But even if someone does deserve to fall from a roof 
by means of divine judgment, don't let it occur on your roof. That's correct. If it fall, if they fall, heaven forbid, they fall off your roof because you do have some share that's called a chelik in that um, culpability. Yes, a culpability. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. That is a very important principle from the Torah. Yes. All right. So. All right. So before we answer that question, question. Um, I think I do have something for that. Um, you can kind of go through this and you've been doing it this week. You said there's a there's a Ola, which is a burn offering. And then there are different kinds of Ola, right? I think I'm going to start a list so that I can have a visual. <laughs> then in chapter two, it does move on from you know, the Ola to what's called a Mincha, which is the flower offering. Something totally different. It's a Korban, it's grain, grain offering. The thing that to, before I want to preface this discussion for anyone listening who is looking at Hebraic roots and you're trying to understand, you know, where did all this, you know, originate and come from? So, Realize this couple of things. Number one, this list of korban not or floral mean these these uh, sacrifices. Nowhere in here is there a sacrifice for an intentional sin. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing to realize, the other thing to keep in mind is, as you're going through this, There are a whole lot of korban or sacrifices that don't really have anything to do with like a sin per se. There are other purposes like Thanksgiving and celebrating and that kind of thing. This is a little understood uh, aspect of this sefer of this uh, book of Leviticus. The stuff that's in here. So is that essentially the like the general theme of I've never actually gone through I don't think the entirety of the book of Leviticus and I'm so I'm kind of almost going through it for the first time because of the type of material that's in it right and so like is the general theme of the book itself this is how you you worship God with sacrifices in the temple. Is that like the purpose of the book? Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think out of like the purpose so of are, it. Are sacrifices a form of worship or? Yes and yes. In other words, <laughs> <laughs> really, because. Because okay. I've been mulling that over in my head. Uh, how does, how does, how does Hashem want to be worshipped? Because a lot of times we worship him how we want to worship him. But Right. So, But that's the thing. you got to remember that this stuff is a specific mitzvah, right? An ordinance, exact command in relation to the Holy Tabernacle, which started out as basically a mobile, kind of a mobile platform. <laughs> and by <laughs> time of Solomon, right? It was turned into the temple, right? So... 
these apply at the temple, okay? At that, where there is this accompanying presence or divine presence. So a lot of it has to do with that divine presence. We talked about this before. Being a you have there has there can be like no impurities in the presence of Hashem. <laughs> that a oh. lot of what these have to do is with that. They have to do. So that. the purpose of the sacrifices are to purify, but then not necessarily worship, but make you able to worship. Well, yeah, because they do enable your worship. So if you wanted to visit <laughs> certain places in the tabernacle in the holy temple, you really can't do that in an impure state. So it enables your worship, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So let's hold on, hold on to that question because we really probably, we really will, will need to come back to that. What yeah, you call it, like the, you know, the overarching purpose of. What is, okay, so if the sacrifices are for purifying to enable worship, then what is the actual act of worship? Singing songs. I see what, where you're going with that. <laughs> it's just been a. I mean, you know, like how what what does the worship look like then in the tabernacle, or what was God's first like? Right. How does He want to be worshipped? Yeah, I mean, I don't be, know. right. Because if you take this verse in Isaiah that's also quoted in the New Testament, that my house shall be called a Beit Tefillah, a house of prayer for all nations. What does that look like? Is what you're saying, really? I think. Yeah, yeah I am. Right. Yeah. All right. So I like that question a lot, and it brings to mind a verse that's in. It's in Psalm 27. Why don't we look at that? Because it might offer a glimpse, right? Um. Most people are pretty confident that the King David had something, you know, like a, what would you call it, um, active and energetic relationship with God. <laughs> 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 uh, a lot of people, you know, if you're just joining the program, you know, you're not, not going to suffer with doubt of this idea. Yeah. Okay, so I want to try to trans deal with this verse 4 in Psalm 27, right? Because this is about this very question, really. He's, he's talking about this, and the whole context of this is the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, one thing sure. I have asked for from yod in it one thing I have sought for. And right there, see that? <laughs> only that I do only that do I seek. <laughs> this word means uh, dwell, I guess. To live or dwell in the house of Adonai. All the days of my life. And, you know, so he's saying Lachazot is um really hard to translate. I am, does something need to be muted? 
Okay. Anyway, so it's hard to translate. Um, they're saying gaze upon the beauty of Adonai, right? That's pretty nice. I'll take that. Lachazon is like a spiritual vision. <laughs> See that? It's related to this word, a chazot, right? A chazon would be like a prophetic vision. To envision prophetically almost the 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 wonder of Yudhe Vave. And this word means they they're translating it, it says frequent, right? And then they're saying meeting of the Hebrew is uncertain. <laughs> I don't know why they would say that. Because in modern Hebrew, this word means to visit. Okay. Like, go visit with, right? Right. <laughs> so we're taking in the splendor or the, or the wonder of Adonai and then to visit with him in his palace, in his temple. So anyway, how that's done, <laughs> right? Yeah. I really do think it's an individual, like, prayer. And, of course, it can involve singing, if that's what you're asking. Well, that was Music. part of it. I I happen to, I'm in a Facebook group um, of, like, you know, Hebraic roots type of stuff. And there was a discussion on there about uh, modern church music and how... Mm, is that the one you showed me, Carrie? Yeah, it was on that same. It was oh, on that. Man. Yeah. They were, they were, they were taking a brutal stance against modern church music. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. Give me that old. <laughs> what? Okay, go ahead and summarize it for me. Um. So, what was the spirit that they said they were calling out some kind of demonic spirit they, on they, modern day church music? They basically called it some sort of Hindu goddess. Yes. And uh, they were, you know, they were saying specifically about some song by Hillsong that they'll never listen to it again because the rhythms are bo are borrowed from paganism. The rhythms are borrowed from paganism. And, uh, you know, all the when your eyes are first opened up to the reality of, you know, how far the church has gotten from the scriptural precedent of their basically their charter for existence, uh, you start to see paganism everywhere in everything. And a lot of times I can be I feel like taken too far. And that's exactly where this particular poster went with right. their assessment of modern worship. Yeah. All right. So let's well, have a little. Yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Well, she was also there was some discussion there about, of course, I wasn't I was reading it and then thinking about it. But it was about um, the inability to distinguish between the Holy Spirit and something from God and some other negative spirit. There's some in, truth to in that. In worship and music, yeah. Now, I don't know about in relation to music, but there is some truth to how it's difficult for the church to be able to discern one spirit from another when they don't even know the truth that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be bringing. But that's more of a doctrinal thing rather than a worship thing. So let's, let's have a little fun with this. So if I played a song, right? First of all, in their case, I, I'm just trying to learn from, because <laughs> to understand it, 
because it's mm-hmm. it's very pertinent to your original question, which is when you worship uh, the the Creator in the Beit Hamikdash, what do you do? What sounds like according to there's a voice I hear that says, "Well, you don't do X or Y or Z." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't yep. do these, and, and, and so that's what I'm trying to understand better, right? So are they taking exception to the lyrics, or is it the rhythms, both, the sound? Both. So they they were specifically naming some very modern, very popular worship um, songs, writers and songs. Yeah. So and some of it was lyrics, um, which I can understand. And some of it was even rhythms. Daniel said, like they were talking about the rhythms being from the devil. Mm. Let's do another. Let's do another program. Can you send some links over of these songs? I want to. I want to get back to this. Really, I mean, <laughs> I don't deny it. I'm not really mocking these people, but I am questioning. I'm. It, you know, I just want to understand the thought process because it's. It, it, <laughs> is a melody intrinsically. Tov, good, or it's raw, bad, you know what I mean? Like, can a melody of music line, you know, can that do that? Or, if that's not the case, is it the accompaniment that's, you know, good? <laughs> see where I'm going with this? Right. Oh, and if it's not that, is it the percussion that's the problem? So, like, if you would remove the, the drums and the cymbal, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> would that elevate the music, right? Just trying oh. to understand the thinking. Um, Kundalini. That's the word she was using, which I have no idea what that is, but K U N D A L I. That's a, maybe a Hindu, Hindu thing? Yeah, so I looked up the word, and it's okay. apparently a, uh, a Hindu goddess or something along those lines. Go and spell it. Kundalini. K- I'll see what I can come up with. Thank there you. it is, right there. Yeah, the, yeah, the dot in your head and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She says, if if you can't discern the kundalini from the Holy Spirit, what is the inspiration for their music? That's her problem. So this person's drawing a direct connect between a Hillsong worship tune. Yeah, and she's song. not saying specific songs, but she's saying like the entire, all of Hillsong. And I'm, all of Hillsong. I'm getting, yeah, all of Hillsong, the whole elevation. So one of the questions, I mean, I think this is a great discussion. I mean, I'm just I'm just kind of playing the advocate of the other side just for the sake of discussion, okay? Sure. Right. right. Did did the assuming that all of Hillsong or even portions are equal to Kundalini, did she have her advice of what we should do about it? Um avoid them altogether. All right, that's a partial but if you do happen to enjoy worship music, right? I mean, I'm just trying. To I try- know. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm like, well, I like <laughs> worship music. I don't. I'm know. trying to understand. Wait a minute. That's like saying, let me think. It's like saying, <laughs> you know, bread and whatever carbohydrates are bad for you, so don't eat it. <laughs> well, don't eat anything or something. <laughs> People in society are avoiding everything with flour and whatnot, so that's not really a far-fetched idea. I'm making an analogy. What don't you just stop eating altogether entirely? 
<laughs> oh, not just wheat products. All yeah. food. Okay. Right, so don't worship at all, is what you're like. Uh, well, I guess we don't worship. I'm, you know, so. Um, why don't we work on that topic and get that particular topic merits another program another time, really, it does, because um, I am biased. In if, you know, I am biased, I admit it. I was a worship leader. I mean, it was in the, it was actually in Sunday church, right? And it was before I got, it was prior to getting the Torah. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really a useful experience because uh, um, I believe that Hashem really discerned the heart and the motive, even though the doctrines were like, partially incorrect or a lot incorrect or whatever there still was a presence of some kind of a divine presence working i'm sure yeah. and, and he helped not only that but he helped me get the torah after that so amen right so it wasn't like i was going down a bad path towards kudalini or whatever that was <laughs> well, i feel like generally speaking you know whether you know for people in the church here, here's a good way to say it i think people okay. in the church if um, if you believe that accepting the sacrificial gift that Jesus gave is what gives you salvation, or Yeshua, if if you're you know further into the Hebrew roots movement than Jesus, well that came out wrong, but you know what I'm saying. Then, um, Greek Greek Jesus, right? <laughs> uh, we're we're saved by grace through faith, not through perfect doctrine. So even if you believe something that is not necessarily 100% right, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He still loves you and if you're worshiping him, he's still going he, you know, he's still going to um what's the word? bless that. Bless that's a good word, yes. And uh so like uh, if you're singing to other gods, well, that may be a problem. But if you're singing to yod heh vav -Hey, which I feel like the church is, then even if the doctrine isn't right, God can still work with that. And yeah, man, that was a point that, yeah. And so a lot of that, a lot of that work I did, the service to God was done in music. <clears throat> What I remember reading, and I'm, let me just try one one passage in Psalm 150 because I'm curious what what it, how they translate this one. I'm just curious. It, it's purely educational here at this point until we can really deal with it. This is a blast of a shofar. We did that. Right, and then this is a, um, it's a harp, a stringed instrument, and a chinor is another kind of stringed instrument. All right, so they're translating this uh, as timbrel and dance, timbrel. But another meaning of this word is drums, like a, like a percussion. This word, tof, right here. So in modern Hebrew, this is drums, and it has this like percussion I'm pretty sure this is what Miriam picks up, and they translate it as a uh, like a tambourine, I think. But even a tambourine is a percussion instrument. So, a type of drum, it's just got little bells on it. 
Yeah, it's a little mini drum with bells, right? <laughs> I mean, I, we're not being like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm just supporting your argument that that's exactly what it is. I mean. All right. So, so this word says, praise him with percussion instrument and dancing. Hallelujah. Praise him with, uh, it's a different types of like uh, wood, the woodwind. <laughs> A lute and a pipe, that's what these are. Well, maybe they're saying, like, the sequence of notes is what makes it evil. So, like, imagine, you know, we're in this time frame where the song is being written and someone's in the in the temple and they're praising God and, and yod heh on the tambourine or the drums, whatever it is. All of a sudden, they do the wrong note and everyone stones them to death for being evil. I mean... I mean, that had to happen, right? I okay, think. but I think at the root of this woman's argument, what she was saying is that how do they tell the difference between the Holy... Like, they can't tell the difference between something from the Holy Spirit and something not. So it's like, while you're worshiping, it's like a very emotional experience sometimes. Um, so are you opening yourself up to some bad stuff while also trying to be... You can't tell the difference. That's what, that's what she was saying about modern church. I can't tell the difference. That is, there is a, a bit of truth in that, that aspect, yes. Right. So if any anyone is having any lingering concerns about this, the, the rectification for that entire thing is to get the Torah and start actually integrate it into your life and do studies and get on this path of Torah faith, however you want to call it, that we're doing. That's the fix for it. That, that would cure it all. So, because surmise, yeah. Hero Israel, the Lord, that guy is one, one God. Go ahead, what now? Uh, just that primarily, you know, God operates on truth and the truth of his Torah. And so, like, when in the New Covenant, there's this promise that God will, you know, write his Torah upon your heart. I don't think that's done by means of osmosis. I think that's done by means of study, you know, study to show yourself approved, approved right? So on and so forth. And so, like, if you'd never study Torah, which is, you know, which is what we're doing. The, the dead foundation of the truth that God has given to humanity, then you're not going to have it on your heart, and you won't be able to distinguish truth from error. Right. So if you want to eradicate the inability, so you want to enable, you want to enable yourself to discern and distinguish good from bad, evil and from holy and that kind of thing, then the Torah is the answer. Boom. <laughs> That's it. That's what we're saying. That's what we're proclaiming. Mm -hmm. um, one more scripture to put on that before we leave it. Um, <clears throat> Why don't you go ahead and read this while I, while I look for that? Just read this little section here. Uh, and I'll find that. Okay. Starting with the heading? Yeah, when we're sacrificed... Sacrifice. This is about Sefer uh, Vayikra, the Korban. I gotcha. Yeah. When were sacrifices offered in Israel? A common myth is that sacrifices were offered in response to every sin. 
In other words, some people think that an Israelite brought an offering for every sin committed. Not only would there not be enough animals in Israel to fulfill such a demand, but this idea is not biblical. Sacrifices were offered. Oh. Sorry about that. It's a temporary problem. We interrupt this. <laughs> right, okay, that's, yeah, I'll get that off of here. Okay, go. Uh, well, nope, can't do it yet. Still roadblock in the way. <laughs> there oh, how obnoxious. <laughs> Sacrifices were offered by the priests on behalf of the whole nation twice a day. In the morning and evening, a lamb was offered as a burnt offering for the whole nation. On Shabbat, an additional two lambs were offered. On holy days, there were also additional offerings prescribed. Individuals could bring offerings whenever they wanted. In practice, however, individual offerings were only needed for a limited number of occasions. Following the birth of a child, such as uh, as part of a Nazarite vow, when being cleansed from skin disease or uh, genital discharge, when making a vow, Passover lambs, and any offering brought in uh, brought for general worship, thanksgiving, or petition to God. The average obedient Israelite probably only brought a few offerings a year during festival times when already attending the temple. So that brings up a question that kind of came up last night. Okay. If everyone's bringing these sacrifices, then think of the workload that these poor priests had to deal with all day long, right? Yeah. But this article is saying that only happens on, like, when general people will go and offer sacrifices. That will only happen during special occasions, such as the feasts and festivals. Correct. So what does the feasts and festivals look like? Like, I mean, surely there's not enough time for everyone in Israel to bring a sacrifice on the feasts and festivals. It presents the same problem, only with a specified number of days as opposed to every single day. There are sections in the Talmud that talk about this, how the the Shalos Regalim, which are the three festival days that males are required to come to Jerusalem. Yeah. How the... There was like in a, a, a flow, a flow of korbanot that was being done then. How they handled it. it it's quite an interesting, deep, you know, tangent to go and look at it. But they did it, and it really was a lot. It was quite interesting. Okay, so, but those are only three times a year, and this is making the point that and it needs to be stressed. This idea, and it comes from retrofitting certain letters and things that are in the New Testament or teaching about those letters, (laughs) retrofitting that idea of sacrifices and everything. And every time you sin, you bring a sacrifice. Every time you sin, you bring a sacrifice. I mean, how many times have you heard this? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, that's what I thought. That's what I've always thought. I had no... Go ahead. I didn't know different. That's inculcated in just about everybody's mind. Yeah, because that's the picture coming from the teachings that emanate um, teachings which arise from the letters that are in the New Testament and giving certain people a certain picture about it's retrofitting this sacrifice for sins idea. Oh, but putting it in a pre um, so-called pre-New Testament time. 
Yeah. <laughs> All of that is just... <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't think of a better word. It's in it's a Spanish, Spanish word. Confusion. <laughs> Confusion. That's what it is. Indeed. Confusion. <sighs> that translate to confusion? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Confusion, right? Confusion. Yeah, it's it's just um this so this set of um these paragraphs here really do spell this out very nicely that it, it just didn't work that way. That's not how it worked. That fairly childish picture that we're given, somebody sinned, so they go up to up to Jerusalem, they're going to bring a goat, you know, to do their sacrifice because they had sinned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, well, unfortunately, when, there's a big, well, no, go ahead. Well, I guess when really it was the priest who was doing it every day for the whole Well, this... He doesn't deal with it, but it, not in this paragraph or this section, but it does a little later. Let's. Uh, I'll, I'll come out comment on this. Who could who could bring the sacrifices? Again, this is saying that Leviticus applies to more than just priests. So, people, Israelite and non-Israelites, could bring sacrifices. Did you know that a non-Israelite could actually bring a, a korban? I did not know that. That's very interesting. My house shall be called a house of engagement of prayer for all nations. And it has to do with that, see. Yeah, right. So they're giving the references for when the ladies would bring a korban and then non-Israelites. <laughs> who were either permanently or temporarily living in Israel could bring an offering. Numbers 15, 14. All right, so let's see what that says. I'm curious. They gave a reference. See if they're right. Oh, right there. Yeah, it is. Right. So, Yagor is, um, if there's somebody that's, a sojourner, I know, a traveler with you, a gear means not a not a not a uh, native. Is that related? I mean, that would be related to the word goy, yeah. It is close, but it's a different word. It's well, a different I, root because that's give me a rest. What's that? I, I know it's a different. Well, I guess root. what I'm asking is, can two different roots that are closely uh, re- um, spelled after each other, but not exactly the same, does that closeness of spelling indicate a close relationship to each other? Okay, the answer to that is frequently it does. And so you may have picked up on something important. Okay. Because really a gare means somebody who is a a goy out in the world somewhere who's living with you. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Okay. I just don't want to be dogmatic about it. It's not absolutely every case, but it is very, very frequently. I gotcha. Anyway, so it says they want to, they want to present um, a, this is a fire of pleasing odor 
um, I guess that's an old lie. That's where it gets hard to, fig- to learn this because there are different technical terms for these things. This is the so-called pleasing, the sweet, the, it's called in the KJV, the sweet smelling something, I think it's. Oh my, yeah. yeah, right. So that's what this is, a reach lichoach. Um, anyway, they're right. It says there shall be one instruction for the resident um, stranger, in other words, a gear. And one, this will be a law for all time. You and the gear shall be alike. Whoa, 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 look at that. That sentence alone. There shall be one law for you and one for the resident stranger. It shall be law for all time throughout the ages. Right. So, like... You and the stranger shall be alike before... Is that... Equal to you and equal to the gear. That's what the Hebrew says. It will be lifne yudhe Now, the way I read that, that is because there's a reason for this. This this Hebrew, it's because it's all ben Adam. It's all descendants of Adam. That's why. But <laughs> this is Numbers fifteen fifteen. Numbers 15. I think this is talking about the ordinances of the Korban. Like, I mean, that's, I feel like it's also true for just in general, the mitzvotes that God has given in general, not not just for Korban, yeah? Right, so therefore we could apply it to, um, say like, you know, kosher, Certain animals, yeah, were never intended to be eaten as food, <laughs> right? And there's a pretty strong hint that even at the time of Noah, the time you know prior to the ark and the flood, that Noah knew the difference, yeah, between clean and unclean animals. But it, it says specifically that two of every kind that was unclean and then yeah like seven or eight of every clean kind seven pairs of the clean of the tahor of kosher animals and two pairs of the like reptiles and mice and stuff like this so how would he know together how would he know how to distinguish one from the other while doing the gathering yeah, if he didn't know the difference between kosher and non-kosher, how would he know the difference, right? That's that is exactly the point. Yeah. So therefore, it does apply to all nations, right? That underlying principle, because there is no difference. Everybody's sons of Noah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody is descended of Noah. Everybody on Earth, which goes along with what you're saying. And I think we could look and find some interesting interesting verses that um, talk about these things. That <laughs> Let me see if I can try to find the words to say it. He told Israel that you'll be a nation like set up high, and then all the other nations would look at you and say, wow, you know, what a wise and understanding people these are. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> To the idea was to 
get the other nations interested in the Torah so that they could follow it. That's the whole point that you're making. Right. There are, this is really one of the, it's a very profound passage, actually. I mean, it just kind of spells out what you know, the journey has kind of led us to all like right there. It shall be a law for all time throughout the ages. Not until the time of Mashiach, but for all time. So, like... But doesn't... We've discussed this before. Israel and its current state. Do, my understanding was they don't exactly follow this. Correct. <laughs> they don't even closely follow this. <laughs> I don't know. Which way are you saying... You talk about the modern state of Israel. Um, their government. Oh no, the government doesn't. Well, wow. no, it doesn't. Are you saying they don't follow the Torah? Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> the people who live there that I've met and talked to, they would be the first to admit that it doesn't. You know. It's kind of a secular state. It's 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 more of a uh, we're a place for the Jews as a family as opposed to a people of God. That's that's a good way to describe the motivation. So yeah. it's looked at yeah as a you know uh, they're they're <sighs> opposed to their people following God, but that's not what they're claiming their state to be is God oriented. There is a pretty strong. There's one of the political parties over there called the Shas Party, and that thing is all rabbinic and everything's heavy on Torah. It's all orthodox. So that ones aren't they the ones that aren't they the ones that proposed a bill to like criminalize sharing Jesus with with people there? It might have been. Yeah, they're they're really vigorously opposed to anything. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, based on Carrie's face, I'm guessing she didn't hear about that. <laughs> no, I did wow. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. So, on the good side, I think it was a recent announcement. It was it was either that party or it was it was definitely rabbinic from over there that. Okay, our decree is that all nations really ought to be keeping, they ought to keep Shabbat, <laughs> they ought to keep the Sabbath. They recently made that announcement. Hmm. Did you know that? It was. No, but I, I am curious as to their, like, are they just saying it to say this is our position on the matter, or are they yeah. trying to, like, well, <laughs> push so to get people to observe it? They're saying it as we officially. In a very kind of, they do not go with the 39 laws and everybody keeps all that. <laughs> they don't go that far, but they do say that Goyim, all nations should give honor and stop work and stuff on Shabbat. There was, yeah, so we, I'd have to find the announcement. It was some big <laughs> uh, yeshiva or rabbi or something. And it, for some reason, the Shas party is room reminding me of this. I don't know if they put their endorsement on it or what. But like the what is the reason they're coming out and saying it though? 
Is it? <laughs> They're saying it. Well, you know, we actually got a realization. We should be encouraging you to keep the the Sabbath day. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like that tone. I think that's good. That part is good. Yeah. Right. All right. So back to this other answer. Um, who could bring sacrifices? Did we read that? Um, uh, we picked out a couple things from it. We got to numbers 15, 14 from that paragraph, but I don't think we actually. Right. Read, you know. So it's just saying that Israel or non-Israelites could bring sacrifices in the Holy Temple. That's right. just something for everyone to be aware of. Okay. Then non-so-called uh, non-Israelites, Israelites temporarily living in there it's israel could bring an offering as well we just looked at the passage number numbers 15 14. Mm-hmm. where were they brought right so let's see what we the worshiper technically it's supposed to have one p i think <laughs> <laughs> brought a sacrifice to the kohen who met him between the altar and the sanctuary in other words, any Israelite or non-Israelite could arrive at the altar right in, just inside the temple courtyard. <laughs> it was not the prerogative of the Kohanim and the Levites to be the only ones allowed in the courtyard. Okay. All right, so we can skip this. What I was trying to get to is um, this is a very, this is like what it, really where I've been trying to go. So these types of korban we can discuss these uh for a bit here <clears throat> in offering peace or fellowship right so we're, we already talked about the ola the burn offering and um i don't like this just leave it could leave it I don't know about this what they're saying there well wasn't it saying in this portion that the point of this burnt offering is for um like if you realize that you've sinned but like you didn't know but now you have realized so now right. you should yes that is mentioned here in this chart that we'll get to this oh, is not I- that so this, oh, I thought it was that. The words I took out, the words I took out of here said, it's a general offering to entreat God for favor. Well, I think the reports of this have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the point. <laughs> it's not really the point. I'll tell you why I'm saying this, because if this really did work, if if the Ola... Um, had the uh, you know the effect that it would in, entreat right? What is that like? Petition God for favor. Then it, the kingdom under Saul, King Saul, never would have split, and he never would have been deposed out of being king. You know why I'm saying this? Because all you would have to do is give a burnt offering for chasing after other gods and he would have been entreated or so hold on to that that that's, that's part of this but 
when Samuel told Saul to go, you know, bust out, whatever, <laughs> go break it down. I mean, go bring it, you know, go defeat the Amalekites and don't leave anything there. Right. They brought back stuff that they weren't supposed to do. They were not supposed to bring back sheep. And, and among that, they brought the king, the Agag. You know the story? Yeah. He was told to utterly wipe everything out of that wicked place. And what he said to Samuel was, well, the people were admiring these sheep and goats. And so we brought them back to be a, a burnt offering, <laughs> a sacrifice, right? And what right. did Samuel have to say about that? You remember? Um, bad? Yeah, bad, yeah, bad <laughs> idea. He <laughs> should not have done that. I don't remember his exact words, but that was the feeling, right? Beautiful. <laughs> bad. 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 Bad idea. <laughs> so that's, the, I want to explain why I took those words out. Those words, I don't know if they're correct. Can't, can't vouch for them I don't think they are because of this passage I know how Saul tried to weasel his way out of it by saying well we brought the sheep and the cows so that we could and it was for you right he says that he does say that yeah Uh, so I don't remember the wording that Samuel used to him before he said that though yeah, God says, well, you know, I regret I made Saul king, for he has turned away from me and not carried out my commands. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Still going. I see that, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, you know, Samuel, Saul's trying to make this, well, you know, I did it. I, I mean, look, you know, well, this at least Boach is to sacrifice. Another word, I mean, sacrifice to Yudhevave um, in Gilgal, right? So <laughs> that's what Saul uh, tells him. And Samuel replies, Oh, yes. Does the Lord delight? <laughs> offerings and sacrifice you know i thought a as lot, much as obedience right right i thought a lot so, about using this passage in the article i'm writing in the section about the law because it's like we we envision ourselves as giving god the offering of our life every sunday when we go to church but like he's given specific commandments he said this is what i want you to do and no amount of trying to cozy up to him is going to make him unsay the things that he said he wants us to be doing. Yes. Yeah, so watch this. Did you have more to say about that? Because it, yeah, no, pretty much. So it. we go back to what Samuel said, right? He said, "Does Elohim like? Is he delighting? Is he so enamored and he's motivated by your sacrifices in comparison with obedience?" So that's why I didn't like this because. <clears throat> this is trying to say that you're going to, we'll say, petition. You're going to petition God for favor by doing the Ola, 
That's what Saul was trying to say to begin with, right? Well, we brought these back because we're going to petition God for favor. <laughs> Get it? That's why I didn't yeah. like it. I mean, yeah. I'm the basis of why I took that out, and I officially don't agree with that. Uh, somebody sent me that article. Those words is because of what Samuel is telling us. Yeah. That burnt offerings and sacrifices don't override the actual will of God, the will of Hashem, okay? <laughs> so therefore, if you like, had done... What now? It, it would be as if you had a child and you're like, I want you to go clean your room. And so you leave them alone for like two hours and you come back and the room hasn't been touched, but they drew you a picture with crayons, and it looks all cute and everything. And they're like, but I drew you this beautiful picture. And you're like, you know, the sentiment is, you know, nice, but I'd really, I, I needed you to clean your room, not, not draw me a picture. That's a good analogy. So, you know, <clears throat> it's the obtain cleansing is the operative phrase here. Um, a general offering to entreat God, but it, you have to put an asterisk on this. As long as you're not in willful disobedience somewhere else, which is what Samuel was telling him, to, you know, you've just lost the kingdom because of this. That's basically what happens here. <laughs> it's, it's not atoned for. It's not making what you did right just because you're going to do these sacrifices. That's the only point I'm trying to get across. Yeah. That's why I didn't like this entreat God for favor, because if Saul could have entreated God for favor, he would have used those, and Samuel would have been proven wrong. Right. <laughs> get it? That's kind of hard to get your head around. I know it, but you got to get this, because an Ola has a purifying effect. It's a principal use of it. Okay, so we can move on. All right, so these other ones are okay. The mincha, uh, that's the grain. Wave offering, I think they're called. <laughs> for thanksgiving, for God's provision. Yes, amen. <laughs> it also says a poor person's purification offering and a poor person's, ah, uh, yeah, it's like a substitute for the Ola. So... Accompanied olot, burn offerings and peace offerings, sometimes burns, usually priest, eight part. Okay. All right, move on. A shilamim, a shilam, a shilama is a peace offering. Mm -hmm. um, they're saying it's an offering for thanksgiving or to complete a vow. So it's a little bit like a you know, I've been doing this vow and it's really heavy spiritual experience and now we're having a little bit of a party to celebrate. That's actually what a, that's what a shalema is. So what is, what is the difference between, like I understand there are some minor differences, but suppose you wanted to give thanks to God for something. How would you know whether you would use a grain offering or a peace slash fellowship offering. Right. Those, that is a spectacular great question because I cannot say I, I've, I've been trying to answer the same thing. <laughs> this is why we need the temple back so that we can have 
increased increased awareness of this, right? Oh, we because they they seem to overlap right now. <laughs> so at this point, we really just don't know that distinction. I don't. That's what I'm. I'm totally open to say. I'm working on it. Okay. But I do. I do remember some of the teaching that I've had on this Shulimim, uh feast offerings, is that they're they're a festive event. It's nothing to do with like a Yom Kippur, you know, and a heavy kind of repentance and, you know, a heavy judgment like the Book of Lamentations, you know, kind of feel. Right. It's not like that. It's a festive, joyous, you know, fe uh, event. So that that's partially, that answers it enough for me at this point. <laughs> if you really want to go out, go all out. <laughs> and and you know like when abraham uh had the party uh for the yitzchak the son they had the weaning of the son had a big miste as well as called a party it's that <laughs> i really think that's what that is i think it corresponds to what abraham did with that celebration of the milestone of the son yitzchak all right, so moving on, the chatat, that's a, these are called a sin offering. So, okay, so here's another question. This says to cleanse the sanctuary from people's sin and impurity, which sounds like what, <laughs> right? It's the same here. The inverse of that. Okay, right. So, Kind of the inverse of the burnt offering, the Ola. It's it's related to it though, because <clears throat> I would go with that the Ola is a is a purification that directs towards the person, right? Mm -hmm. And the Khatat is a purification directed to the toward the sanctuary. Right. But like you would think when you're going to the altar with your Ola, your burnt offering for your personal cleansing, you, you kind of have this notion of the, you know, the place that you're going is is so holy. It, it's like you're being purified by it. You don't necessarily think about how your impurity may be making that location impure. But that's the nature of sin and impurity to make things impure. And so because of that, we have this other offering for the sanctuary itself, for the altar, the 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 tabernacle, something or other. You know what I'm saying? It's really true. Um, I'm trying to find the verse. It most certainly does. Okay, so here's the question. Can an individual's sin, like, have the effect of that it, desecrates defiles you know makes impure like this holy place sanctuary whatever you call it right that's the question <laughs> the answer is yes most certainly okay so this is a drastic example but it's talking about people who make offerings to Molech. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to put my face directly against this person and cut them from the midst of my people. 
because he gave his son or whatever to Molech in order that it says it would make Tame, which is impure, my sanctuary and profane my name. <laughs> how that works, I cannot express or clear. I don't know how, how to explain it, but this the Hebrew here is making it clear that they, the, it makes Tame or impure, makes the sanctuary impure. So it does that. Right. So it's an extreme sin. It's extremely drastic, but other ones can do it as well. And that's what we're talking about. There are other verses in the Torah that say this. What is, what is this? 20 verse 3. I won't take the time to find them, but they do exist. I've seen them. I'll try to find it really quick. I said it wouldn't take the time, but whatever. <laughs> Hang on here. I'll see if I can find it. Anything like that. That's a good one right here. This is one where the. Um, it's a result of the sin. The actual it says the the land itself becomes Tame. Yeah that thy land not be defiled which the lord your god has given you for an inheritance so that's one there are actually several more of these that talk like this so yes there is definitely a way that the sanctuary be can become like impurified <laughs> because of sins right and so this that's what the khatad is for is to reverse that one more and this one is really interesting So what this is, is um, let's say you're in business. I think we may have talked about this before, or you could be a, you know, just a regular farm farmer, right? And right. you buy, you buy some kind of feed, animal, bags, sacks, some kind of supplies. Mm -hmm. And you're getting it from a known supplier and a scandal comes out that this supplier either <laughs> had a, a false balance, a cheap balance, right? <laughs> to weigh things out on improperly, or they were getting products from somewhere that did. So you're stuck in the middle, right? Because <clears throat> this is a somebody up the line send and you're you unknowingly took, you know, part of it, took part, took part in it inadvertently, right? So that scenario could happen. Right. It's sacks that are either over, you know, they're marked too low or too high in some kind of commerce that you're doing. It was improper. And that is with right. the Asham, the reparation or guilt offering. Right. The, all the Asham have to do, and that's why... In the KJV, that's why they're called a sin of ignorance. That's what that's the way they translate it. So, like, those are five of the different types of sacrifices. There are more, right? Because I, I know about the wave offering and the drink libation. Yes. 
So those are coming up in the next parcel. <laughs> okay, so this just okay. hasn't been outlined yet. Right. For some reason, this document doesn't get into that. I don't know why, but there is a drink offering. Yeah, and there are some variations on this. Wow. Okay. So like Leviticus 4, it's in the parsha, um, saying, if anybody shall sin through ignorance against any of these mitzvot, um, concerning things which ought not to be done, right? So it's just referring to generally improper behavior. Mm-hmm. Somebody allowed something to be mislabeled, misweighed, or something, and you've and it was found out, right? Or that could be a business thing, or or another thing you know that could happen is that non-kosher ingredients made their way into some kind of porridge, you know, or some kind of recipe somewhere. Heaven forbid, right? But some unscrupulous unscrupulous actor has gotten non-kosher ingredients in a some kind of people food <laughs> somewhere, right. right? And the scandal comes out that this happened. And so you don't know if you got any bacon bits in your <laughs> your <laughs> recipes or not, right? <laughs> it's it has to do with there are two different ways the asham can happen. One is um, it really happened. I'm sure it happened. It was definitely wrong, but I had no idea. Right. Okay? And, and then the other one is I don't know for sure that my bats that we got has the bacon bits in it. But it might have. <laughs> See that? So it's like a precautionary. Yeah. That's... Doing this to purify myself. It's like taking a shower after you're working in a plant where there's a chemical spill, and you may not have been affected by the chemical, but you may have. So just as a precaution, you're washing yourself. It's totally, it's total perfect analogy. There are two scenarios for the ashram. Both are unintentional, but one is a little like compelling than the other one. One is I'm absolutely sure, you know, there was, a, you know, a frog leg or something was in that. <laughs> <laughs> something non-kosher, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or there was this report about frog legs. <laughs> being put in the food somehow or something non-kosher. So that's that's the whole, I'm just trying to illustrate um, areas where it could be, they're, they're called a sin of ignorance. I think we yeah. just looked at that. It's, it's people struggle with that. They might say, all right, let's talk about this before we we'll get ready for a break here. How could it be that it's a sin if you didn't know? <laughs> right? Have you ever heard that question before? Oh, actually, yeah, I've I've talked to people that, you know, I'm like, well, what if you you make a mistake without realizing you're making, you know, you're sinning without realizing you're sinning, and their position is straight up, well, then it's not sin if you don't know. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, sin is a transgression of the law, and if you're a person who respects God and his law, then first of all, you should know. But if you don't, which is, you know, there are people in that camp, then you would probably be transgressing it all the time and not realize it. 
And the New Testament dis- defines that as a sin. So, like, yeah, the, the word defined, sin, the word sin defined, it means that you're missing the mark. You're, you're missing the target that you're shooting for. And so whether you're missing knowingly or unknowingly, you're still missing the target. Yeah, so I want to try to, exa- I mean, everything you're saying is like, yes, amen, that's exactly right. That's a sim. That's a that's one way to approach it. Mm-hmm. So the Torah says, and this is for the people who have this doubt. The Torah says that certain actions, certain things, are prohibited there. And if you do that thing, then it is a sin. And it wouldn't make any difference. So it's back to the axiom of the ignorance of the law is not an excuse. It's back to that. So if the fact that it wasn't, you didn't, trying to think of an example, what would do this? So if you were going to, if you wanted to do some prayer time in the temple, in some of the inner court areas and like you didn't know that probably fixing your car or mowing your grass or stuff like this on the Sabbath day was really not right. It doesn't make it not a sin. That's what I'm trying to say. Because the terms of the covenant are is that the seventh day is holy. It doesn't matter whether you're aware of this or not. It works like this. And so in the case that you wanted to come and go into the inner dimension of, you know, areas of the tabernacle, what you would want to do is that a song would be very useful to you at that point. If you had just realized my heavens, I'm, I was not honoring the holiness of Sabbath day by doing all this like work stuff, right? Intentionally or whatever, or at least because I, let me me think, because I didn't know any better, it was not intentional. But anyway, the Assam would be extremely very useful to you at that point because there's still a fix for it. That's what we want to say. Mm-hmm. I hope this helps the explanation. The thing to get from this is <laughs> what your intentions were or your motivations were don't really have anything to do with the thing being a sin. Right. And that's that is something if you're just getting going with the with this understanding, it's really crucial and vital that you understand this. These statutes and ordinances and the mitzvot are holy. They come from the creator directly. So, you know, it, under- really, yeah, when, it underscores the importance of learning the Torah. Yeah, go ahead. It, it does. Uh, it One of the things that really are kind of like, man, that just kind of fits perfectly together it, your intention not having any bearing on whether or not something is a sin um, 
because there is no sacrifice for an intentional sin, well, that kind of indicates that, you know, you generally speaking, our intentions are are ought to be good right they should they should and good so that alone would indicate that your intention doesn't matter uh, because an unintended sin if your intention had anything to do with it then wouldn't apply anyway the the, the corban wouldn't help you anyway (laughs) right that is so important you got to find a way to make that clear yeah, I, it kind of jumbled up there, didn't it, with my words, but... Yeah, but I get the idea. The thought is really important. The test of whether you intended or not wouldn't matter, wouldn't help you at all, because if it... <laughs> in the case of the sin that was unintentional, you do have the asham, and in the case that the sin was intentional, well, none of these are going to help you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's... It's really just kind of a basic principle of life that your intentions don't dictate reality around you. If you get if you're uh, if you're in a car wreck, heaven forbid, you know, Hashem forbid, and Correct. there's a uh, you know the the other party that was involved in the wreck, what you know, people died in it. You may have been swerving to avoid something, or maybe your car started uh, getting out of control, and you tried to swerve in order to regain control. Your intention was good, but that doesn't bring the people who died back to life. They're, you know, the right. These are hard, very hard lessons. Yeah, and it's a good example. Right. So I intended to build a rail, a railing on my roof. You know, to use your example from earlier, yeah, I had every intent to put that safety railing on the roof. <laughs> but somehow a person who was predisposed to falling off went up there. <laughs> They've only done it like three times before. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> another, another one is, you know, a farmer or whatever has an ox and the ox has... They call it goring a person, you know, like right. attacked a person. Oh, I was I I intended to um, change the pasture for that ox or do something when they get rid of it. Or I I intended to get rid of it. <laughs> right. Well, actually, so I was listening. That mitzvot came up in the podcast I listened to. And it's not only that you neglected it that one time and gored someone, but you were pre if you had to be previously warned that it's a dangerous animal because someone witnessed it like charging at someone or something like i think twice and if it gores someone after that warning that you were given twice then you are held liable for the death of whoever it gored and uh with your life but like it's not like you weren't given a chance. I mean, the 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 warning had for for you to be able to lose your life in that scenario. You a warning would have had to have been given to you multiple times, is what I'm saying. Right. Yes. And so the big takeaway from all of this is, it's it's a very common, and I I don't usually talk this way, but there the cute little phrase about 
you know, Sunday church culture and sloppy agape. I don't know if you heard that one. Have you heard that one? Sloppy agape. Sloppy agape. <laughs> what? Sloppy agape. You haven't heard, you haven't no. heard that one? No, I haven't. What Kumbaya, is that? everybody loves one another, you know. Agape is the Greek word for, like, the type of love that God has toward us. Right? that. I've heard of, I mean. And so, sloppy agape. It's so just, what it would what it would mean is this thing you did. I know you didn't mean to. <laughs> so it would tend to dismiss that as not being a sin, a sin. Okay. Mm. But according to the Torah, if whatever according to the act itself, it would be a sin, irrespective of the motive and the knowledge, uh, the intent, and all the all the above. That's that's the way the Torah uses the word sin. So the word chet means like missing the mark. Like we talked about our, you know, unkosher frog legs or something in a recipe, right? That somehow they got in there. Okay, so that's missing the mark. Whether anybody in our circle is in, is intense intended it. That's that's the way the Torah uses the word sin. And it has taken me just a couple minutes to actually think about how to explain it. But it is that um, it's definitely like an absolute, you know, you could call it strict, I guess. But let me ask this. Anybody that's thinking that's strict, are are the laws of, of chemistry and physics, are they strict? I mean, every now and then you're <laughs> off the hook. What now? Are the laws of physics strict? I, I said every now and then the laws of gravity let me off the hook. <laughs> so the, my answer to this is yes, and I, I hope that they are because that allows us to work within the um, kind of the framework that uh, the creator has given to be able to invent things and do things. Because if the laws of chemistry and physics were not strict, we wouldn't be able to have things like cars and, you know, uh, tractors <laughs> so in your example of like oh there you know frog legs or bacon frog legs yes my food and i didn't know it well it doesn't count because i you know i didn't know well replace frog legs or bacon bits with arsenic <laughs> would, would your lack of knowing have any difference in the reaction you're going to have to the arsenic in your food yeah, that's a harsh example but uh, it's just that's that's what's there so right so in a, in a sense science um mirrors or reflects you know the spiritual principle of the torah because yeah it does feel a little strict when you first encounter this but you have to understand how high the standards are and the purpose and the, the purpose, purpose is to be separated from the world. The purpose is to be a holy people unto God. And <laughs> you're not going to be a holy people unto God if you're not living holy. And holy nation. Right, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? That is the purpose. And in, in, in closing, what kind of, you know, this, this idea of purpose and holiness, so um, what the Torah does, and we were going to talk about this, uh, and I, I left it go because of the other important discussion. 
um, Psalm 19, verse 7, right? And this was about if you had any concern about going the wrong way, it wasn't we were on the music topic for a while. Um, the best thing to do, right, is to get in with the Torah. And Psalm 19, verse 7 tells us, right? Um, All right, so it's verse 8 in Hebrew, <laughs> which is hit by the English versus Hebrew, the English and Hebrew verse discrepancy yep. bug. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's, so look at this. See, it's verse 6 in English verses, and it's verse 8 in Hebrew verse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what that bug is, Karina? You know what I'm talking about? What's that? The English versus Hebrew verse numbering is different sometimes. Oh, well, I just figured it was because of um, wording. Yeah. Well, it's because of the selection of where the verse divisions are. Different. Yeah. So. All right. So anyway, this says the Torah. See the Torah. The Torah of Adonai. Is Tamima, and that means that it's comprehensive and perfect. And interestingly enough, and this is your point from earlier, uh, Daniel, this word is very close to Mima, right? So, anyway, um, Tom, simply, like, simply perfect, I'll just say it that way, <laughs> and complete. Yeah. Right? And the Meshivat Nafish. So this means that it, re, they're saying, restores life. Um, cause, this really is saying that it causes a soul to make repentance. That's really what it's saying. <laughs> huh. It causes a soul to repent. Yes. Nice. Or it is repentance inducing to a soul is another way to translate this phrase. The teshuva is the root of, you know, the same root as this word. Mm-hmm. Uh, lexicon will show it as turn back, like bring back. Well, that's what repent. That? Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. Repent, return, bring back, right? Yeah. Shuv. So bringing back. It's one that brings back the soul, <laughs> right? And the mm -hmm. testimony of Adonai is high fidelity, Naaman, Naaman, huh. Naamana. So that's the answer. I mean, that's really, even going back to Deuteronomy, that is the answer for bringing the church back as the northern kingdom Ephraimites. It's yes, 110 yes percent, absolutely. <laughs> The Torah is what is going to cause them to come back. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll so, play the there. Yeah. Well, yes, and we had this discussion about the Kindani or whatever it was, the idol, and from the Hindu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, right. If you're concerned thing. about, you know, and I made the point, draw near to the Torah, and it will, like, shine, it will shine light in the darkness. You won't have any trouble. So. That's because of this verse. And this is the source of what I said earlier. This was going to be the source for that. 
and I like this mach 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 kimat peti. So mach kimat a enwisen, you know, to make wise, right? To wiseifying, it's not English words, but to cause to be wise, right? Right. To be chacham for like a like a simpleton. This word, this word is a simpleton. Wait, what? How do you pronounce that? Which one? The mach, the machimat, or the peti? Peti. Peti. It's a peti, right? Yeah. Let me see. So you can do a word study on that verse or that word. No, I was I was gonna use it for personal purposes. Peti. I I know someone. I was gonna start nicknaming that. Um, quite interesting. So when, when, um, what's her name? Delilah. Yeah. Is, is about to, um, the, the, her, her friends, the Philistines. Yeah. It's using that word as a verb. So, you know, go make a simpleton out of your husband. They're using that. Ah, instead Mm -hmm. of entice thy husband, it's make him into a simpleton. Yeah. That's because if you think about it, that's what really enticed means. <laughs> you know, it's oh. easily enticed, right? <laughs> I never that's, made that connection before, but I can see it. Yeah. Go, go make him into a simpleton, meaning a gullible, you know, predictable, kind of compulsive, whatever a person. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're talking about Psalm 19, verse 7. The peti is a, um, I was trying to see how it was translated in other, yeah, like Proverbs says, how long you, admatai petaim, you, you simple, <laughs> simple simpletons, will you be loving <laughs> silliness or simpleness, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, it's in Proverbs quite a bit. <laughs> so, a petty is a person like spiritually superficial and kind of compulsive. Does that make sense? It does. Let me think if I can find an analogy really quick. Yeah. Someone who's living purely for the day and uh, very um, myopic. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, and it's a spiritual kind of ignorance that they're living in, right? And they're... <clears throat> it was, I mean, this spiritual idea, this idea of petty, and I'm probably dating myself and I don't care they, they don't make cartoons like the old like the old um, Coy- Coyote and the Roadrunner oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is the mistakes the Coyote was making was he didn't remember it's it's Wiley Coyote why would they do that well he was trying to catch the Roadrunner but the Roadrunner was pretty like shrewd and smart about stuff so yeah. the, the, you know the coyote's putting like a some kind of a trap and it'd be like hanging a, a big bell or something in a pile of food 
<laughs> to catch the Roadrunner. And the Roadrunner somehow knew not to stop there and eat the food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the in that case, the word petty applies because many of the traps that Coyote used was because he was expecting this Roadrunner to be a petty. Right? It's just a simpleton about things. Easily trapped. Anyway, that's what stuff comes to mind. <laughs> Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> the Roadrunner was actually very, you know, smart in the cartoon. Smart and shrewd, yeah. Right. So that's saying that the Torah has that effect on a person to make them wise and prudent and smart of a simpleton. A simpleton. Anyway, with that, I believe that we'll make that a landing point. It's been a really great discussion. And let's work mm-hmm. on this music thing for maybe just a few minutes. But I think for the pro- for the podcast that we Shabbat can... Shalom, everyone. Say Shabbat Shalom. Have a good week. Then Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov.